Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to our Christmas version of God's Love for the Unlovable. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. We're continuing our series, God's Love for the Unlovable. What happens when God's love for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely? And that's all of us on any given day, if we were only a little bit honest, bumps into those who are clearly not, or at least they don't feel lovable. They may even feel irrelevant. Since it's Christmas, we're focused upon characters or entities in the account of Jesus' birth, the irrelevant Herod's temple, the irrelevant priest Zechariah, and the mysterious Magi. And in today's show, we unpack a story of the enigmatic Messiah watcher, Simeon. And this story is at at least one level about the cleansing of Mary after the birth of Jesus, but it's equally about justice and consolation for a 2,000-year-old unresolved crime. So let's have some fun. Welcome to God's Love for the Unlovable. We'll get started after a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. So what does it mean for a tribe of Israel to be made irrelevant? Irrelevant, not connected with or relevant to something, having no bearing on or connection with the subject at issue, not integral to important matters swirling around them. They just don't make any difference. Meet Simeon, Luke 2.25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that's the second time the Holy Spirit is mentioned, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, that's number three, he went into the temple courts. When the 
Parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that would be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. All right, setting in context. The temple was alive that day with families bringing their one-month-old firstborn boys to the temple to lutrosin them, to redeem them. Let me explain. This is a separate ceremony to circumcision, which happened at eight days. Uh, Exodus 13 says that all firstborn males are especially gods. They're priests to him legally. And this is part of the covenant with God. And no doubt, like today, not everybody adhered to the ancient practice, but the pious families, the religious families, uh, and even no doubt superstitious families came to the temple for this ancient ritual. And they would offer a live sacrifice or pay five shekels, I mean, not a lot, to lutrosin their boys from lifelong God duty. And now their sons would be free to pursue whatever calling they wanted. This would be a familiar ritual in Israel, not so much today. The law of Moses states that when a woman gives birth, she is ritually unclean for a certain number of days. And don't hear this as being that there's something wrong with her or she's an outcast. She's just kept from ritual ceremonial matters. The Lord says to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. And when the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, uh, now the temple, a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her. And then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Leviticus 12, 1 to 8. Well, that's what's happening. Mary and Joseph joined the other parents at the temple that day for this ancient purification, a consecration ceremony normally now held at the temple. So when the time of their purification for Mary, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, uh, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what the law said, a pair of doves 
and two young pigeons. That's Luke 2, 22 to 24. Well, Jesus had already, to be sure, according to the law, been circumcised to fulfill the covenant that God made to Abraham. Again, Luke 2, 21. So all that remained was his consecration ceremony. And this was the redemption of the firstborn ceremony. It might be hard for we moderns to wrap our heads around this. You know, you kind of have to climb into their sandals and, and unpack what this meant in the swirl of God's plan to restore his relationship that he once had with humanity before the fall. And remember, God's not speaking to 21st century Westerners. Even if he was, he would have news conferences or do TED Talks. I mean, certainly PowerPoint. But no, he's incarnating the crude husk of the ancient Middle East. In many ancient kingdoms, there were recognized responsibilities that kings demanded of their people. Often, one of them was the requirement that all firstborn sons would be required to enter the service of the king. I mean, usually they're thinking king's army, right? But in some cases, wealthier families would pay a certain amount of money to the king in lieu of losing their boy to his service. And this was called a redemption fee. So parents in Judea had a choice. You could forfeit your son to the king's service or redeem him. God repeatedly uses this familiar trope to communicate to his people who they are in relationship to him. They are not just anyone spilled out on the sprawling planet. They're his people, and he is their king. So every time a son was born, they were to remember this special relationship, and one, circumcise the boy according to the covenant between God and Abraham, and two, consecrate their firstborn sons to God. So to be clear... The redeemed boy is still consecrated to God, still among the firstborn, loved and protected by God. Same with the girls. Israel remains his special firstborn son, men and women, boys and girls. Okay? So, who is Simeon? And what's his role in this story? Because the story is very much about, I believe, what God is doing with Simeon as well as with Mary. Both are being redeemed. Uh, There's two redemption stories going on. So, I love cop dramas, particularly cold case ones. A squad of detectives, they take on a case that are old and still open. So they go into a warehouse and blow dust off the the boxes, reopening the cases and and solve them. And the, the idea is that everybody deserves justice. Right? Statue of limitation is never off real justice. And that's pretty biblical. But the story today could just be one of those accounts, a cold case, maybe. And I'm going to take some narrative liberty here, but hang with me and give me a little leeway. So this is probably a good time to take a break for a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. A couple of thousand years before Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple, a terrible crime occurred, actually multiple crimes. In Genesis 34, a Hivite prince by the name of Shechem raped Jacob and Leah's daughter, Dinah. Now, Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her, Genesis 34, 1-2, meaning he raped her, a horrific crime. But there's a second violent, horrific crime. Jacob, Dinah's father, out of cowardice, wanted to cover up the offense, but but he was scared of the Hivites. He went into spin control and tried to sweep it under the rug, it seems. Sad day for the patriarchs. The Hivites 
tried to make things right, I mean, as best as possible, uh, kosher according to later Torahic law, not justice, right, but to gain some, some face and remove some of Dinah's shame. And here we go. Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's son had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us, give us your daughters, and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brother, let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you what Ever you ask, make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you would like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Genesis 34, 6 to 12. Well, in the midst of all of this dark, violent, horrific actions, there's an opportunity. And it's hard for us to see and imagine. But in those days, this would begin to heal the breach between tribes and begin to remove Dinah's shame a little bit. To be clear, this is not full justice that she deserves. This does not heal, restore, and redeem Dinah. It doesn't change the past. Only God can do all of that. So hold that thought. Well, two of Dinah's blood brothers, Levi and Simeon, conspired to take justice in their own hands and get a bloody vengeance for their sister's honor. The Hivites seem to genuinely want to legally make the matter right, uh, to bring peace between them, uh, to take the first steps to begin to honor Dinah in, in that culture. Yeah? L- Levi and Simeon convinced the Hivites somehow that before the two families could join, all of the Hivites needed to be circumcised. Yeah, crazy story. So an entire town of Hivite men agreed. The operation was performed, and while they were helplessly recuperating, Levi and Simeon slaughtered all the men of the town, every single one of them, with short swords. Hold that thought. Vengeance, justice. And look, it's going to cost Levi and Simeon clearly, and still there's no healing and restoration for Dinah, right? Well, On his deathbed, years later, when Jacob was blessing the other children, he curses Levi and Simeon for this. So their tribes will be to disperse among the other tribes. In other words, they're going to lose their inheritance as a people, as a tribe. Their tribes will be dissolved. Uh, So at the time of the census in Numbers 1, there were almost 60,000 Simeonites, fourth in size of all the tribes. And when the land was divided by Joshua, Simeon initially received land surrounded by the more powerful tribe of Judah, but the tribe of Simeon virtually disappeared within Judah. They're gone. Well, great cold case episode. Lots of good stuff. No trial for Dinah, no consolation for her, no restoration of her face, her name, her purity, her womanhood, and no changes ever against the cowardice of Jacob or his hypocrisy, uh, his hypocritical curse of the two boys. Any restitution for the huge curse against Levi and Simeon? How much time does justice demand for their crimes? What about justice for the Hivite people? Where can such justice be found, right, all around? Well, I suppose that a case could be made that the Levites were brought back 
into some favor during the time of Moses when they became the honored keepers of the temple and the tabernacle. No land, but great name and great honor. Jacob becomes Israel, but Simeon, Simeon disappears, the tribe, until now. Until now in the temple. Again, this cold case relies on a bit of speculation, but I'm going to suggest that it makes narrative sense. In all good stories, loose ends are tied up. The only two tribes without a king, without a prophet, and without a judge are Simeon and Asher. But here in this single scene, both missing tribes are honored and recognized for their part in the Messiah. Simeon represents his tribal namesake, Simeon. Anna is from the tribe of Asher. I love it how this thing gets all wrapped up. What was important about Simeon was not what he did, titles, education, political power. Is he a good man? He's not a priest or king, nothing of note. What is important about him, per the narrator, is his name, Simeon, and his heart towards God, and that he was filled and directed by the Holy Spirit. So I think, among other things, we're witnessing the redemption of the tribe of Simeon, the Lutrosan of Simeon. The irrelevant tribe of Simeon is becoming relevant again. And so notice the contrasting Simeons. So righteousness. Simeon too, the one at the temple, was righteous, meaning that he was other-oriented, community other-oriented, God-oriented. He was a man who would give to the poor, would help strangers and aliens, uh, that would include the Hivites if there were still any around. He saw God's image in others and treated them with honor. That's what it means to be righteous. Now, his forefather, Simeon I, wasn't righteous. Simeon I also wanted righteousness and justice, but he wanted it his own way, not God's way. He was angry and vengeful and over the top. No mercy for others, no forgiveness. And he created more injustices than he ever solved and paid a high price for it. We're told that Simeon too is devout, meaning he submits to God in his day-to-day life. Ah, Simeon one had no need for God as king or judge. He took matters into his own hands. He was God, and an angry and vengeful God at that. Simeon two was filled and directed by the Spirit. Three times it's mentioned by Luke that Simeon two is with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. The idea is when you see Simeon two, you see the Spirit at work. And not so as Simeon one. Simeon two was a patient man who was satisfied, waiting on the Lord and waiting for the Lord to be the judge over all injustices. Simeon one had no patience to wait. No waiting to be filled to become God's instrument in that messed up situation. Simeon 2 holds God's summons, consolation, Jesus, in his hands. The word paraclesis is often translated comfort or encouragement, but in some context, I think like this one, it has the root meaning of being summoned to court for justice. So in an earlier show, I spoke about the role of the temple as God's court of justice, where unresolved crimes and even cold cases could be brought before God the judge, officially before his face, Lipne Elohim, before the face of God, for justice. But it wasn't about the temple as the court. It was about the infant who was in Simeon's hands, who was the judge of that court. So in the context of justice, this consolation could refer to a summons for a trial and final justice for 
Simeon and Dinagate. Jesus is indeed all of that in the flesh. That infant, this child is all of that, not just for Simeon 2 or Simeon 1, but also Dinah and also the Hivites. This is one of the things that Simeon 2 saw in the eyes of the infant, filled with the Spirit. He is justice and restoration that his tribe has longed for for thousands of years. And not just his tribe, but all the tribes that will hold the child, that will look into his face. Jesus is the summoner to the court for all the crimes against the heavenlies, known and unknown. In him, cold cases will be fully dealt with. No injustices will ever be overlooked. Simeon 2 is holding in his hands his tribe's long-awaited redemption for the crimes of Simeon 1 and the Hivites and Jacob and mine and yours. I mean, let's face it, for their act of bloody, inhumane vengeance, there is no amount of cash or years under curse that could repay. How could Jacob's curse and even the 2,000 years of dishonor to the tribe of Simeon, uh, right, pay back a single Hivite family for their unrighteousness, unjust loss? It can't. Simeon, too, holds up the very one who can fully pay for the corporate sins of his forefathers. The infant will restore honor and purity to Dinah eventually. Redemption is found in that infant Jesus. Simeon, too, gets it, the spirit. Restoration to honor and glory will be in him, through him. The tribe of Simeon's salvation, Simeon's glory repurchased, name restored. Simeon, one, held in his hands the sword of vengeance to go and get redemption, and it didn't work. Another contrast, Simeon 1 cared only for his own situation, his need for justice, personal vengeance, not the well-being of others, no sense of the Hivites being people of God's image as well. Simeon 2 now sees through the heart and eyes of God that his love extends beyond Israel and includes even the Hivites, even sinful, unrighteous Hivites. Jesus is that Savior of the world. He is the revelation to the Gentiles that Simeon and Levi were not. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, there it is, and for glory to your people, Israel, including the tribe of Simeon. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Luke 2, 29 to 35. Well, ironically, this Simeon speaks of a sword that will pierce the soul of Mary. Simeon, one, used a short sword to exact revenge for the violation of his sister. Simeon, two, says that there will be a different, large, broad sword, more painful, more destructive, that's going to pierce Mary's soul. She is going to experience great loss and great sorrow. Simeon, one, knew of a different woman, Dinah, who knew great loss, his entire family knew great soul loss as well. Simeon, too, speaks out of a heart of compassion, but in his hands, Simeon, too, holds the one who will eventually wipe away every tear for every pain. His forefather did not know this compassion. The infant redeems history. The infant judge can bring justice and consolation. The infant healer makes the broken whole. 
You know, one thing that I want to do for this Advent portion of God's love for the unlovable is to suggest a Christmas song for us to ponder as we, as we try to put our head around all of this, the story of Simeon. Um, so here's a new Christmas song for you to ponder. Google Chris Tomlin's Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Put it on earphones and just turn it up. And if you want some more fun, imagine being in the temple courts watching old Simeon hold the baby Jesus and finally experiencing all of his family's injustice slide off of his shoulders onto the the frail shoulders of the baby Jesus. Watch his face light up, his shoulders rise, tears of joy start falling. You get it, right? Well, here are some of the familiar lyrics. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free, including the tribe of Simeon. From our fears and sins, release us finally, right? Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Yeah, what a joy. In the last Advent, uh, God's Love for the Unlovable show, we're going to look at the irrelevant magi. Don't miss it. What happens when the love of God uh, for the unlovable bumps into pagan, unbelieving priest. Hey, help us get the word out about God's love for the unlovable series. They will thank you. I have other shows on the Livestream TV channel, Drug Free Channel, Women's Men's Channel. Just see you there. I have a new book soon to be published. Hi, friend. Are you stressed, maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of, too? Well, I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. I want to invite you to join me as I share practical tips based on science, inspired by God's Word, to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.